You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. I am just pumped to talk about a continuation of the series of What's With the Age of the Earth. My uh, partner in crime, Emily, cannot join me this morning, but that's okay. We're going to carry on with the series since I've been doing most of the talking anyway. And uh, then next week, we're going to get back together. She's going to ask questions, and it's going to uh, be be great because I think this one is definitely going to prompt some issues and some clarifying questions and some things that need to be uh, worked through and thought through. So I want to go ahead and zoom out a little bit and and provide just a little bit of context, uh, again, a little bit of a recap, and then we'll dive into the subject matter for this week, which is the uh, issue of the death before the fall. When it comes to creation, death before the fall, why does that matter? What am I even talking about? We're going to get into that. Again, the series we're in is what's with the age of the earth? And right, the idea is that there are multiple views of the age of the earth, um, which we are, for the purposes of this series, simplifying into uh, young age, old age, and no age. And this is a really helpful way to think about it because it really does summarize the the broad spectrum of the camps of belief within this, uh, you know, within creationism, within Christianity, really. And so it's a helpful way to summarize that. And we we moved on after sort of explaining those different camps to the idea of like, who cares? <laughs> Why does it really uh, matter that we are discussing such an issue? And in fact, uh, many people, particularly those who take the no age uh, view, really want to make the point that, well, actually, this really doesn't matter a whole lot at all. And it's really not something that we should be that focused on. You know, as long as we all agree that God did create, then we're all good. You know, we don't really need to give any further consideration to it. And I think that that is just a wrong-headed view of this. And Emily does too. And I was, I was so happy when she, she uh, agreed and further made the point because see, I didn't, I didn't go to a secular university like she did. And so she made the point that like, yeah, this is what they're talking about, you know? And of course I went to public school. And so I, I do understand from that perspective, but it's like, you know, th- these are, these are real things that really come up. People really do talk about, you know, the issues of evolution and creation and which view is right. And how does the, you know, how is the biblical account affected by these sorts of, uh, of questions? And so, you know, those are, there are professors out there who are trying to destroy the faith of their children uh, or of their, um, of their students rather. And, and yours and my kids are are being directly affected by this. So it really does matter. And this has been actually a historical debate. It not only matters to us today, but believe it or not, it has mattered and been a subject of discussion held within the church for quite some time. And so here we are, you know, in the 1700s thereabouts, and and someone comes along and says, look, we are going to free the science from Moses with our you know, geological teaching. And that was um, uh, Charles Lyell, is that his name? Uh, uh, yeah, Lyell, I believe is his name. And uh, he's the guy who comes along and says, yeah, we're going to free the science from uh, Moses in the 1700s. And then ever since then, there really has been this battle going on of, well, is the Bible right? 
is science right? So it, it really does uh, matter whether or not those are the right categories to to think about. You know, science versus the Bible. I think that is a a false distinction. I think that is not a um, an issue that really matters. There's there's something called conflict thesis that was developed uh, a long uh, time ago to to really harp on this this conflict, this artificial conflict. I think that there is between science and faith. I think there's really not one, and, and really how you um, you know, frame that is going to um, help shape up, you know, how you consider these conversations. Regardless, I think the point is well taken that the issue really is important. And it is something that we need to talk about and discuss as Christians. And honestly, I think it is something that we need to take a position on to the extent that we we can, to the extent that we've studied the issue, we absolutely should take a uh a position on the issue as well. So moving on from there, last week we discussed the accuracy of the biblical account. And if you'll remember, we're using the acronym ADAM. So accuracy of the biblical account for A, D, death before the fall, and then another A, a truly risen savior, and then the M, many scientific evidences. We're using that framework to um, really frame the discussion here and give us some talking points to consider that would um, uh, do the issue justice and allow us to to really think clearly about it. And this week, we are moving on to letter D, which is death before the fall. So we've already seen that it's very important to the biblical account, the accuracy of the biblical account, which view of this we take. Uh, I'm sorry, but there are there are just really interesting questions as to how accurate the biblical account can be if old age creation or no age creation are true. And, you know, the reason that ministries exist to defend these contentions, I think, is evidence enough. I mean, there are ministries that that exist, and, and you know, among a number of reasons, one of their core reasons is to show how science and the Bible are compatible. But what they what they mean by compatible is different than what somebody who takes a, a young age creation view might actually mean by compatibility. And often, unfortunately, the old age or no age uh, creation view of compatibility ends up undermining the natural reading of the text and, and frankly, the accepted reading of the text for millennia of Christian and Jewish tradition. That's the real problem here that we are having to wrestle with. And that's why at the very least, again, I'm friends with everybody on all sides of the spectrum, but that's why at the very least we need to give this issue some consideration. It's not like we're just pulling this out of thin air and it suddenly matters today and never mattered before. It has mattered for a long time. And so we are we are in good company carrying on the tradition of, uh, of the church, wrestling with these issues and dealing with these issues. So we saw how important it was. We looked at the a literal understanding of the word yam, which is the word for day in Genesis 1. And we talked about what it would look like to work backwards from the time of Christ and to consider the chronogenealogies of, of Genesis 5 and 11. And if we're going to take all of these things seriously, then uh, we honestly uh, must wrestle with the text as it relates to what modern scientific data uh, seems to, to be saying. And that is a perfect segue for moving into the issue of death before the fall, because this is precisely the issue at hand. Now, many people may have never given any thought to this, and so I want to try to, to zoom out and explain this as clearly as possible of what the issue is. When you're looking at the world around you, 
And you consider things like fossils that have been buried in the ground. When you consider geographic devastation that appears to be present in the in the geological history uh, of the earth, as you look at um, the death and disease and destruction in the fossil record that we have, it raises a very important question because the standard, traditional, you know, evolutionary way of looking at these things, and I'm just going to use evolutionary. I realized, um, let me just say this, I realized that many uh, old age creationists are not evolutionists, but you have to realize that there is baggage that comes along with saying that the earth and the universe are millions and billions of years old. It is the same timeline that is is touted by evolutionists. And so it, it, I'm just going to use that term evolutionary as shorthand to talk about that for the remainder of this episode. So when you consider the implications of an evolutionary timeline of the history of the earth, again, a timeline that puts the earth back to 4.5 billion years and the cosmos back to 13.8 billion years. When you when you consider that, you have to ask a very good question and this again relates back to the account of Genesis 1. When you read Genesis 1, what you come away with and what Christians and Jewish thought leaders and scholars and writers and lay people alike have, have come away with over the past millennia is that God created a world that he called very good. In the Hebrew, that is the expression tov meod, okay? Many times in the text of Genesis 1, he said that what he created was was good. And then he, he underscores it. After his whole creation is done with this idea that it is very good, there is a, a pattern in the text that lends itself to this idea. William Barak, he's got a series, Dr. Bill Barak, he's a fantastic Hebrew and Old Testament scholar. He's got a, a great video series on YouTube. I will try to remember to link up in the show notes if I can. And he talks about this. He, he talks about how the, 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 the continuous and, and patterned use of the, and God said it was good, and God said it was good, and then God said it was very good. This, this is an undeniable claim to a, a, a just about as close to perfection in a world that you can get. God gave his very highest approval of this creation. His adoration was in this creation. This creation was his handiwork. And he was, he was proud of it and excited to bring humans into it to help tend and manage and grow and help this creation flourish this this creation for all intents and purposes you know culminating in the in the humanity in the very creation of humanity was was God's baby this was God's creative project this was God's masterpiece his magnum opus this was you and I are little creators like God and how accomplished do you feel when something is created exactly according to the specs that you intended for it to to have and, and it was it was good it was functioning properly there was no there was no dysfunction, no disorder, no chaos. That is exactly what the text of Genesis 1 is conveying that this creation was like. And when you compare that with the sheer reality, the sheer reality of a world that is beholden to an evolutionary timeline, you have 
to ask the question, what gives? What gives? What what was it about this creation, this creation where we have evidence in the fossil record of obvious death? Because there is a fossil record, right? There was death. We have evidence in the fossil record of disease, of cancer, of, cancer, of bloodshed, of, of suffering, of massive carnivory, of destruction. There is this, there is this world of historical destruction buried underneath of your feet and my feet in the very spot where you live. I promise there is evidence of this destruction. And in some places in the world, there is, there's abundance evidence of this, of this destruction, mass burial graves. Of course, you understand dinosaurs died and, and were buried, many of them together, many of them in positions where you could see them struggling for their life. Many of them even in the midst of carnivory swept away and, and, and something caused them to, to die and be rapidly buried in the earth. And, and what you have to begin to ask, aside from all the scientific considerations, we'll get into that later. What you have to begin to ask is, is, is this world of, of suffering and disease and bloodshed and cancer and all these things, was this the world that that was God's masterpiece of creation? Was this the world that God created and, and at multiple points throughout creation said it was it, it was good? And then at the very end summarizes that it was tov meod, it was it was very good. Is that the same world that that the God that that lives beneath our feet? Is that the same world? Or is the world that lives beneath our feet one that is is painfully obvious? evidence of death, destruction, judgment from God. Now, again, bringing this around, trying to discuss it very, very clearly, you cannot have the, the, the world that lives beneath us in the ground with, again, fossils, death, disease, bloodshed, geologic destruction. You can either have a global flood that caused all of that, which is a direct judgment of God in response to the sin of the world. Or that can be a result of billions of years of, of death, disease, suffering, and bloodshed. Now, it cannot be both. You have to realize that. It absolutely cannot be both. It can't be evidence for both. It has to be evidence only for one or the other, okay? So if it's evidence for the evolutionary time frame of things, number one, uh, I think you would need a lot more evidence of slow burial, which we don't have. Most of the most of the available evidence from fossilized things are uh, events rapid burial processes. In fact, there are lots of modern there are things that get fossilized in modern days all the time. It's because of rapid burial process. But again, that's the more scientific consideration. In the biblical consideration, if this is an evolutionary world that we're looking at, then we have to believe that when God said that His creation was very good. That this was part of it. Now, let me let me say one thing here. I'm not, you know, supposing that God's creation was perfect. The word "perfect" is a slippery term, and I I talked about this um, in, a, in an episode a while back that I, that uh, was recorded with Wayne Spencer um, about um, asteroids and and collisions and and impacts. We talked about this uh, because this idea of perfect is really slippery. Like, how do you define perfect? Was there no erosion? Right in in the beginning of creation. Well, I, I I you know I I disagree with that. I think there was probably erosion. You know, a lot of creationists used to say that uh, the law of thermodynamics must not have been in place because that would be 
um, something that would, could only exist in an imperfect world. But again, thermodynamics is something that is required to produce even your walking and, and, and your speech and everything. It's a part of everything. And and so, we, you know, I don't think that the law of thermodynamics was somehow not operating in the original creation. Maybe it was operating a little bit different, but it was operating in order for the world to have been operating. And so if you're going to define perfect as a world with no, uh, you know, no loss of thermodynamic energy and the rearranging of things, then, then that is not going to be a perfect world. That's not how that, right? So we understand that, that the good does not necessarily mean perfect. It means according to God's intention, right? How he desired for it to to work, how he desired for it to function. And so then you have to ask the question, well, did God desire for it to work and function in a way where there was massive carnivory, where there was massive destruction of life, both implied by natural sorts of disaster like cancer and other things? And, um, well, I mean, I guess insofar as you define it as natural evil, the um, uh, carnivory and predatory nature of animals, you know, that kind of thing was going on as well. And was that part of God's good functioning world? Now, Old age creationists and many no age creationists are going to say, yeah, actually it was part of God's world. Uh, things were intending uh, or functioning as God intended them to. And they'll try to give reasons for this. And, and some of the reasons might be, there was a paper by uh, Dr. Michael, um, his last name is slipping my mind. I want to say Strauss, but I don't think that's correct. I think he's a different a different author. Um, and and this particular paper is one that discusses the suffering of animals, and, and there's supposedly evidence that that animals don't uh, experience suffer and pain, um, suffering and pain in the very same way that that we do. And you know, you have to understand. I'm not talking about the psychological condition of animals here. By the way, that's a slippery slope because there is evidence that some of the higher animals, specifically gorillas, apes, things like that, uh, actually do experience this higher level of conscious awareness similar to what a human being does. And so are we just going to say that there were none of those things in existence, um, you know, during that time experiencing this, um, this pain and frustration? I think that as far as you can take this argument would go as far as insects or something like that. There is abundant evidence that, that insects and, and, um, um, you know, very, very small, you know, like bacteria and things like that. There, there is literally no level of consciousness going on there. They're actually more like a machine than anything else. So I think we can allow for, you know, the, the old joke is something like if Adam steps on a plant or if Adam steps on a, you know, a cricket or something like that, you know, in the garden, um, is that considered carnivory or, or rather the, you know, is that considered death before the fall? And, and so young earth creationists have to deal with this. Well, Again, we're using biblical terms, biblical definitions, and biblical considerations, okay? So the Bible talks about nephesh life, all flesh that has within it the breath of life. Um, plants and, and small insects, things like that, are not referred to in this way in the biblical account. They do not have the breath of life in them. So the young earth creationist claim is anything that has the breath of life, higher animals, humans, things like that, um, are, are not going to have been you know, destroyed as a part of God's very good and perfect creation. At least that's what we can gather from the data in the text. That's what would make the most sense. So I mean, just think about that. Just 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 think about these higher animals. I mean, again, there's a reason why we 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 you know we get attached to pets and things. Like imagine, you know, you you know what it's like for your dog to be suffering or to be in pain or your cat to be suffering or to be in pain. And and a lot of people want to philosophically explain this away with technical definitions that would tell you that those animals are not actually suffering. They're not actually in pain. The thing is, sure they are. Sure they are. Now, maybe they don't have this 
some of them don't have this third level consciousness. So uh, there's this idea of, of, of at the first level, there's, there's basically no conscious awareness. Okay. At the second level, there is a, there is a pain. Okay. The, the animal is legitimately experiencing pain. They are legitimately suffering, et cetera. This third level of conscious awareness says that the that the animal, even though it is in pain, even though it is suffering, they're not able to give it that category. They're not able to to think introspectively and to say, "I am in pain." You know that kind of thing is not something that occurs to animals. And to that, I want to reply with, "So what? So what? How does that make it any better? Does that make it any more acceptable when you see your dog or your cat or or your lizard or whatever suffering?" Um, I don't I don't see how that does. I don't see how that makes it any better. Furthermore. There are humans and other higher animals who can have cognitive and mental defects such that they would not be able to experience those thoughts, and yet uh, they're still in pain. They're still suffering if if they burn their finger or something like that, even if they don't have the conscious awareness of I am not or, or I am in pain or whatever. Like It's still happening. It's still suffering. Death is still death regardless of one's level of conscious awareness. And so I just, I just implore, I just ask, those people, like, are these technical definitions explaining these things away? Are they satisfactory for you in order to hold your view? To me, they are not satisfactory at all. I think if we're going to deal plainly with the text, I think if we're going to deal fairly with the text and our understanding and experience of the world around us, then yeah. I mean, I think it's almost unavoidable that death before the fall seems like an aberration. Death before the fall does not sound like the world that God created. It does not sound like the world that would be functioning according to the good and kind intention of God. For all intents and purposes, again, I know the word is a slippery slope, but for all intents and purposes, the world prior to the fall, according to the biblical data, was perfect. It was perfect. There was nothing wrong. It was acting just exactly how a good God would intend it to act and to function. So the question, as my friend Stephen Lloyd likes to ask it, is this, which came first? Was it Adam or was it death? Okay, we, we recorded a whole like two and a half hour long podcast episode on this. Uh, it was around 100 and I don't know, 103, 104, somewhere in there. Uh, so go back and listen to it. Which came first, right? Adam or, or death? Was, was Adam there or was death there? Because you see, according to the biblical account, the world was perfectly functioning according to God's intention. And then something went horribly, horribly wrong. Eve sinned, Adam sinned, and the world was tossed into turmoil. And by Genesis 6, especially verses 1 to 4, we find out that the world had, had gotten so evil that the, 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 the only thoughts of every creature were to do evil continually. And the world got so bad that God, the Bible says he, he, he basically regretted making anything. And in that regret, decided he was going to destroy the world. And then, you know the story, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So, you know, Adam or death, which came first? And if death, you know, why in the New Testament is death the last enemy to be destroyed? Because if death needs to be destroyed, then why was it created in the first place? You, you, you see, death is an aberration. Suffering is an aberration. It's not the way the world is supposed to be. And we all know that the world, the world is broken, not just in moral evil in, in that sense, but also in the sense of, of, of natural evil. 
the world itself, Romans 8.22 says the entire creation groans and travails in pain. And it's, it's, it's awaiting its redemption. It's awaiting its restoration. And so when you make this consideration, if you want to take the evolutionary timeline of things, you have to do two very important things. Number one, you have to explain how the character of God is not impugned by creating a world in which death, disease, suffering, bloodshed, carnivory, etc., are a, a, a part for all creatures in whose breath or in whose nostrils was the breath of life to put it how the text says. You have to explain that. The second thing you have to explain with this, we haven't talked about this much yet. Uh, maybe we will some, uh, actually we definitely will with when we get to the science episode, is the flood. And I hinted at this earlier. The idea is that the text in Genesis 6 through 8, talking about the flood narrative, the text is pretty clear that what we're dealing with is a, a flood of global proportions, a universal proportions, okay? The entire world was destroyed. Every creature that was under the whole heavens. Again, I've got an episode specifically on this that was recorded a while back as well with uh, Mark Lambert. And so I would encourage you to go back and check that out. Okay. Um, but we talked about this. And the idea is that the, the text is so clear in the way that it is, it is worded, in the way that it is phrased, in the way that it is written. It is so clear that the flood was of global proportions. And like I said, you cannot have this evolutionary timeline of things and a global flood. So if you accept the evolutionary timeline of things, then you have to explain that flood as something else, as something either local. These are some of the attempts that have been made. Um, something as, as a local flood or a regional flood or some combination of that and, and maybe something called a tranquil flood, um, which basically holds that the flood was not this catastrophic destructive force, but was rather something very tranquil and really didn't do much to change the geological uh, structure of the earth at all. But the evidence is so clearly against that. And uh, again, the model of, 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 uh, of catastrophism that I hold is called catastrophic plate tectonics. And this is an attempt, a very good attempt, by the way, uh, to explain the mechanics of the flood. And it turns out when you start looking at it, this world was destroyed in the most epic of ways with volcanic eruption and you know, massive ash clouds and ice ages that were involved in, and, and, and probably lots of collisions from, you know, meteors and asteroids and things like that. And so the, the question has to be asked, you know, if you're, if you're going to accept the account and face value of the flood as well, then young earth creationism, young age creationism is really the only path that makes sense because you can have a world that was created, good, a good, very good, almost perfect world created according to God's perfect intentions. That world goes wrong. That sin in the world builds up for the first 2,000 years. This is exactly, by the way, sounds exactly like what was described in the biblical account. And imagine that, right? By, by the 600 year of, of Noah's life, things are bad, right? And God decides to find grace in Noah and his family and destroyed the entire rest of the world. And in that world, you get the flood judgment. And that judgment causes catastrophic, volcanic, um, horrific destruction upon the earth, responsible for wiping out, again, most dinosaurs, responsible for completely restructuring the ecological systems of the earth, responsible for the rapid burial of millions upon millions upon millions of fossils, which we discover in the earth today, literally living under our feet. So you can have this. You can you can still have 
the physical evidence. Now, again, I'm, I'm being I'm, you know very surface level here. Of course, there are nuances between what an evolutionary view of of, of those things might look like, and then what a what a what a flood view of uh, of those things might look like. And all this work has been done. There's more work to do, but tons of work has been done on this to you know explain some of those differences. There are strengths to both views, etc. Of course, all of those technicalities are exist. I'm just painting with a broad brush here to give the big picture. And the idea is that broadly speaking, we can have the same evidence, okay? Again, like I said, little things here and there, but we can have the same evidence that the evolutionists can have within a young earth creationist timeframe if we'll just take the account of the flood and the account of the creation seriously. And then I want to kind of close this out here with just a reflective question. You know, if you're somebody who's kind of still on the fence about this for whatever reason, it's like, you know, I don't get it. This still all doesn't make sense. I just want to ask you, when it comes to creation, what higher purpose might God have? What higher purpose might God have in allowing death and suffering to persist for billions of years before humans entered the scene? Now, I know I'm not God. I'm not trying to put myself in the place of God, but especially when even reflecting on this question requires you to not be thinking, you know, frankly, very seriously and very highly about the the text in the way that it is written. Like when you think about that, I can't come up with anything. I literally have no idea what higher purpose God might have in allowing death and suffering to persist for billions of years before humans entered onto the scene. To me, this is something that makes very, very little sense. And so I think it will be important for reflection and consideration. Well, that's all I have for you today. Again, death before the fall, that's the D. This is is the, the second big, big reason why I think it's important to take the creation issue seriously and also why I think it's important to be a young age creationist. I think that if you're seriously gonna reckon with the fact of death before the fall, um, you need to be thinking about that. And by the way, somebody might 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 come back and say, well, you know, the, the Bible, and maybe this is a question that, that Emily will have, so I'm going to go ahead and answer it now. Um, the, the Bible doesn't really say that there was no death before the fall. You're just kind of inferring things. Um, well, it, I don't know about that. I mean, it, it's very true that the statement is, is not necessarily there. There was no death before the fall. That That statement is not in Scripture. But there are two important things. Number one, we can definitely infer from the well, like I've already mentioned the 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 very goodness of creation and uh, God's character, God's intentions for creation, God's purposes given in the Bible for creation. It really is hard to make sense of death before the fall. But then specifically Genesis one, I believe it's uh, verses twenty eight and twenty nine. It talks about how the animals and humans were were given every green tree, all the plants of the earth for food, right? It, it was given to them. The Bible says as meat for food. Okay. And the implication there is that there was no meat being eaten in the original creation. I find it kind of ironic because I'm a meat eater. I'm a big time meat eater. But again, uh, on Genesis 9, and then of course, even later on in, uh, in in the New Testament, there's actually references made to this about, well, no, it's actually okay to, to eat meat now and, and to you know, as again, as part of God's progressive revelation and the progressive outworking of God's plan in the world. But in the original creation, we were vegetarians. We ate plants. That was the bottom line, okay? And that's exactly what the Bible says. And so it's, it's really hard for me to allow room for carnivory and the destruction of life based on that. Uh, before sin entered. It makes complete sense after sin entered into the world. But before sin entered, I think that uh, is, is very backwards from what the Bible actually teaches. All right. 
God bless. I'm looking forward to getting with Emily next week and talking through some of our uh, questions and, and, and moving into that. And before we move on to the next, next concept, God bless you. I love you. I appreciate you being a listener and we'll see you next week on the Bible Nerd Podcast. Thank you.